0: We are back everybody, uh, episode 10 of the Pack Out podcast. So a bit of a milestone here, I guess, Aaron, we're, we're 10 in, haven't been at this long, but episode 10 tonight, Aaron is back, uh, solo for the last one, but, but Aaron is back tonight co-hosting. So back to the, to the norm, back to the usual, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, about as normal as we can get, I think, um, (laughs) we had a, we had a bit of an eventful June in our house. I, I won't get into it, but, um, things are trending in the right direction. Uh, we threw in a, a vacation to Michigan there too. Uh, so we got to go hang out on the West side, go to the beach every day, have Superman ice cream, you know, all the stuff you need to do when you're in Michigan on the beach. So, but, uh, yeah, 10, ten's pretty cool considering, um, The first time we tried to do a podcast, we didn't even get the one. So getting (laughs) the ten's pretty sweet.
2: And you haven't killed each other yet either, so that's a that's a good thing.
1: (laughs) No, not yet, not yet. That that last podcast though that Cody did, I've got to commend him for it. I'm only I'm as of right now uh, as we're recording. So by the time that this goes, I'll be done with it. But I'm only probably three quarters of the way through it. But it is absolutely fascinating hearing about the last known Wolverine in the state of Michigan. Like it's such a cool story and it's so, it's so awesome that Mr. Ford was the one that found it because he set up that little research station that he had back in the woods, that he did the lead work to track it. Um, I feel like if anybody else would have found it and tried it, it would have been half half the information. Yeah. And maybe not even that. So that was really awesome. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. So
0: yeah, he was, uh, he was definitely the guy. Like I kind of said, you know, um, I don't know if there were three better people. I, I um, like I mentioned in the episode, I don't know, Jason Rosser, who was one of the, one of the three, but, um, uh, Mr. Ford was my high school teacher for a few years, you know, so I, uh, big outdoorsman hunting, fishing, just uh, being a woodsman, I think he was, you know, he was definitely the one to find it. And then Steve Noble's kind of the same way. So, uh, yeah, if anybody was even going to find the Wolverine, which was kind of a feat in itself, those, those two and three guys were going to be the ones to do it. So it was pretty neat. It was kind of cool to revisit it. You know, um, I was always kind of fascinated with it as it went on, just even being a junior, senior in high school. And then to kind of look back. And I think he told some things that, weren't super well known so it was it was cool to get the full story because at the time everything was kind of hush hush rightfully so trying to protect the wolverine you know nobody really knew where it was some people kind of had some ideas but um yeah it was a lot of fun i i think you know the the feedback we've gotten so far has been really good so uh, unique story definitely check it out
1: yeah yeah th- um I'm at the point right after the point where he kind of alluded to the fact that when he gave presentations while the Wolverine was still alive, he he essentially lied about the location of it because he didn't want people to go find it because he didn't, he didn't know who to trust. And I would have done the same exact thing. Like, like this is the only one in over 170 years that, that it's, you know, been around. I mean, it was before. Didn't he say that the that there hadn't been a Wolverine in the state of Michigan because they were out of Michigan before it became a state?
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: It yeah, had, it had been crazy. a long time. Yeah, but th- something that that really uh, stuck stuck out to me was the guy's woodsmanship. Like he was talking about how he knew enough about the Wolverines to know that it's not going to slog through a bunch of water to get where it needs to go. And that there was one narrow strip of dry land for it to walk on. And he's like, I knew just from knowing the habits of the Wolverine that it's not going to slug through this and it's not going to go through that. It's going to walk right here. And this is where I put my cameras. And it took him 300 some odd days to get a picture, but he ended up getting a picture and then he got more and more and more. And eventually found, you know, kind of where it was hanging out, where it was living. And it's just fascinating. Very, very
0: fascinating.
2: And I got to listen to this one now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'll be yeah. worth your
0: time for sure. Yeah. He's a, Mr. Ford's a very humble guy, but uh, yeah, he, he did incredible work. Um, and that's how he was as a teacher. I think that's how he was always as a deer hunter. So, uh, not shocking that he kind of went all in and, and did really well,
1: but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely check it out if you haven't yet. And there's a, there's a third voice thrown in there that I'm sure you've heard. Um, we have amber casey on the podcast amber how are you doing today
2: i am doing well all things considering kind of like you nathan a very um or uh aaron sorry i don't know i called you nathan i was thinking of something else
1: i've definitely been called worse (laughs) yeah
2: i was um i had other thoughts in my head and whatever but sorry aaron um yeah, uh nice to be here. Thank you guys very much. But yes, had a very eventful June, kind of like you. So, coming down from that. But yeah. Doing well. <laughs>
0: of course, with Amram, we're going to be talking elk today. So, avid elk hunter, now you can kind of check the box uh successful, accomplished, whatever uh, adjective that you want to use that I'm still chasing, so
2: I would That's say I've here. I've notched one tag. So we'll just we'll leave it at that. I I should throw a disclaimer out that um, I am not a professional. So this is all just experience and don't take my word for it.
1: <laughs> so. I have I have notched zero out tags and yeah. I believe Co- Cody you've notched zero as well, I believe. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. it took yeah. me 17, 18, 19, my fourth year. Actually fifth year. We won't count 2016, but yeah. So my now fourth I'm curious year. about
1: 2016.
2: Oh, Jesus. That was that was a shit show. That was bad. <laughs> Didn't see an animal. We'll just leave it at that.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds like that our, was first, in... uh, our first three days in Montana. Uh, yeah. Ago,
2: so. That was in Colorado, though, so that put a bad taste in my mouth for Colorado. I'm like, I'm never going back there. Never.
1: You're <laughs> not the only person that I've talked to that said they've gone to Colorado and you know only heard one or two butles or didn't see or people or or just saw people
2: yeah yeah so nope uh keep uh keep your chin up guys there's still hope what you've only gone once you said both of you guys
1: yep yeah we went on a like a seven day hunt in 2019 um actually ended up coming back one day early because it it was high 30s rain snow the last day and we all, we, we ended on a good note. We had several encounters the last day that kind of filled our buckets. And so that last morning we headed out. So
2: I always figure if you see something that is an accomplishment for a lot of the bad luck that people have. Um, a buddy of ours was hunting same time as us in Montana last year and, uh, kind of down by where you mentioned you're going to be going, And they left like a day or two early because they did not see an elk the entire time. Mm -hmm. They were there for like 10 days and weather kind of got started to get crappy. So they're like, yeah, I'm out of here. I don't don't think I would do that. I would just go fish. Like I wouldn't leave Montana early just for (laughs) that reason. (laughs) If I had the vacation time, I would spend it all out there no matter what I was doing.
0: I'm with you I'm with you there the weather makes it tough we had the same kind of deal we were up I don't know what were we at like 9,000 feet or 9500 feet Ooh, um yeah that's up got there. on the we had we had pulled a trailer up so we had a like a 16 foot trailer that we took to the top and then got on the inReach, and yeah there was like 14 inches of snow coming and we're like mm, well it might be time to get this trailer down to the bottom again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we found a good
3: idea.
1: We found a nice mom and pop campground that the guy was, my god, he was so nice. It's so, like yeah, just park your trailer over there in the tent spot. It's not actually a camper, so we don't need to charge you for having a camper. You guys can just pay me when you leave. I'm like okay, you guys got hot showers? <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
1: but so so you started. Your first elk hunt was 2016. Yep. What, um, h- how did you get into hunting in, in, in general? I mean, have you hunted all your life? Did it something you pick up just a few years ago?
2: Um, that's kinda, it was, I don't want to say a roller coaster. Um, girl. Grow, so growing up, I have two older brothers. Uh, they're, you know, outdoorsmen, my dad hunted and still hunts a little bit my family you know my uncles my cousins you know November 15th holiday in Michigan right so I grew up riding horses mainly one of those crazy horse gals but so I never hunted growing up but I would always I was always around it between my brothers and my dad and my uncles and my cousins um and i don't think the first time i went out with my dad i don't i think i was only like 13 13 or 14 um took hunter safety and so i went out with him for a couple years for gun season but i didn't pick up a bow until i was probably 17 so i was a little bit older getting into bow hunting and i my first year bow hunting um I did shoot my first deer with my bow. So that was kind of cool on opening day, October 1st. And that kind of, you know, gave me the bug. So then I graduated high school, continued to hunt, but then life takes over college work. I was going to college full time, working full time and bought a house and all that stuff. So it was kind of like if I had time, I would go, but I was never like, like I am now. And I sold my horses like early 20s, probably earlier, mid 20s, just because they're hay burners. I came to find out (laughs) like this. This is dumb. Why? Why have these things? And bought a lot of nicer um, hunting equipment. So it was probably like my earlier mid 20s that I really started getting into it more um, like the whitetail side of it. And I didn't turkey hunt until probably six years ago, six or seven years ago. And the elk hunting thing is just something that I've always wanted to do. I've always loved the mountains ever since I was a little girl. And I don't remember when, but I the first time I heard an elk bugle, I was pretty young. I'm like, I'm going to hunt one of those bastards one of these days because they're really, really cool. And finally, I got the chance as far as having enough vacation time and financially, not till like 2016. I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Just going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but you don't really know until you go. So, but yeah, the hunting, like I said, I've always been around it, but I haven't been heavy into it only for probably about 10 years now, if that probably eight to 10 years. So I'm still, I still call myself a newbie, (laughs) a rookie, but, you know, compared to a lot of other people that have been around, but I've learned a lot over the years. My husband knows a lot. I have a couple of good friends that know a lot. So that's definitely, definitely helped.
0: Did you guys kind of get into elk hunting together, you and your husband, or had he he been into elk before that or not?
2: um, No, we kind of did. Um, So we actually, we started dating and neither of us had been elk hunting. And then that was like 2015. And I remember he's like, he bought a tag back when you could just buy a tag in Montana over the counter and you didn't uh, have to the draw for, right I know, I know. It was like July or August. He's like, Oh, I'm going. I'm like, oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> so he went for, he might've went in 20. No, he went in 2016 too, but we didn't go together in 2016. Um, so he went for a couple years without me. Um, but yeah, around the same time as when we, when we started elk hunting. So we both, we both learned together. He learned to call. He's a very good caller. Um, he called in my bull for me, which was really, really cool. He's called in a ton of bulls for me, but I just couldn't deliver until last year.
0: <laughs> and he's killed so, a bull, at least a bull, right? A Yep. Okay.
2: 2018. Yep. He killed his, his first one. That was kind of funny because he's such a good caller and he actually shot it didn't even call didn't even make a peep that morning it just that's how it worked out and i'm like you all those hours practicing and you didn't even need to
0: so you are both successful elk hunters i know you don't want to give yourself the label but i'm gonna do it so that that's cool you guys have had two successful, elk in the freezer i'm, yeah.
1: I'm extremely jealous yep. of that I would be wearing yeah. a t-shirt that said that for like a month after <laughs> just every single day, just walk around. Hey, and say, yeah, that's I mine.
2: shot that's an cool. elk.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> well, I actually. The, the, the check mark or whatever. Yeah. I'm wearing yeah. that shirt like
2: every day. I actually got a tattoo of my elk. I don't know if you guys saw that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, very cool. So is that like, uh, like the exact kind of profile of one of the antlers yep. then? Very cool. Yep. Very cool. It's nice to have that personal touch to it that. You know, it's not like you'll ever forget anyways, but when you look at it, you know damn well, like that's. that's
2: So this was a very like probably one of my top bucket list items actually was to shoot an elk with my bow out west. And I'd always told myself that whenever I do shoot a bull, finally, that I will get this tattoo and got it in January (laughs) as soon as I got the European mount back. So it, it really meant a lot to me. And not even just the fact that, uh, you know, shooting an elk and having him on the wall. It's, I don't know if you guys read my story that I wrote, um, but it's everything outside of that. That's just, it, it it means a lot and it's so hard to put into words. So, yeah, it was a very, very emotional time too when uh, when I shot him. But
1: Yeah, you did a really good job describing not only what makes you tick as far as hunting goes, um, and what, what brings you back to the woods, but you did a really good job describing the moments of the hunt the moments after Mm -hmm. the hunt, your emotions after the hunt, which, I mean, Cody, you and I both know how emotional hunting can be. And for something like an elk, I mean, you'd been trying at that point for four seasons to kill one.
3: Yeah.
1: We all know how much work goes into just going elk hunting and to have it all come together at, seven steps is nothing but insane. Um, like, yeah, it's pretty incredible.
2: It, it was just insane. I mean, they're, you know, my mind is just racing right now thinking back to it. And it, you mentioned, oh, to kill one at seven steps. And that's the big thing. That's like an elk hunters dream, you know, is to have a, you're at full, you're at full draw with a screaming bull at seven yards walking toward you and about ready to run you over you know let alone that being my first bull like i said that's any elk hunter's dream and then for that to be my first you know my first kill was just oh my god i tell everybody i'm like i still don't know how i kept my shit together for that (laughs) like i i really don't but
0: yeah Yeah, i don't think a lot of people really understand like and I don't either right because I haven't been there yet but don't even really understand what that must be like like you know you're spending m- most of the time if you're really serious and really into this you're spending every day thinking or doing uh, you know something with elk so for that moment to finally come together like like I said I haven't experienced yet I will you know A- and I it's hard to even fathom what it's going to be like but you know I, I uh, tell my hunting buddy all the time like I don't think my feet are going to touch the ground coming down that mountain with rack on my back like I can't wait <laughs> you know so you just
2: your mind goes everywhere from like flashbacks as far as you think back to April when you first drew that tag and you're like oh my god yes this is so much fun and then you think before that when you decide I'm gonna go elk hunting and then you even think back as far as like when you first started hunting you're like oh my god this whole journey has led me to this moment right here and it's just It's a lot to unravel, but yeah, you you guys will get there one of these days, whether it's a cow, calf, whatever, it's going to be absolutely amazing.
1: My tag says any elk, and I mean any elk.
2: (laughs) Yep. Oh, I would have shot anything legal. Like, I'm right there with you, but that just, that was the opportunity. I'm like, well, I guess this is how it's going to (laughs) go.
1: I I still remember we're up on top of the mountain, and and our buddy, Zach, it ended up being a dude that just sucked at calling, but he's like, "I think there's a sick calf walking towards us." Do any of you want a calf? And Jimmy was like, Hell, "I'll wipe the I'll wipe the milk off it's left after I shoot it. I don't care." <laughs> yeah. And neither of us did. He's like, "You go right ahead." But so kind of kind of Quentin Tarantino. This so go back to <laughs> go back to the beginning of 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 that hunt. Like, um, w- what kind of led you to where you hunted
2: um so that is once again long story short i'll probably say that a lot but so in 20 2017 my husband and i got married in may of 2017 and that's when we're like okay well we weren't sure if we're gonna elk on that year just because finances from the wedding and whatnot and it was like june june or july He's like, oh, well, you remember that wedding that we were supposed to go to out in Livingston, Montana? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, you know, they have like 400 acres. I'm like, um, why have you not said something about this? Like before not well, three months leading up to season. So it's his buddy from college, his in-laws. So kind of like friend of a friend type thing. But we called, you know, we got their number, the property owners talked to them, got permission the right way. You know, we brought them out some Midwestern stuff like maple syrup and shit like that and they can't get out there. So, um, yeah, that's how we, I don't want to say acquired that property, but that's how we got to go hunting out there. And it is, it is private, but it backs up to a lot of public land. And we have access to their neighbor who is also their family member, which has like 1,600 acres or something. And to be completely honest, people roll their eyes and are like, oh, private land, no wonder you see elk and no wonder you shoot elk. It's a bitch sometimes. Like last year, we literally, because all of the other properties around that private property, don't let people hunt. And the elk know it. So last year, the last day, we literally had a herd of elk. There was a huge, huge herd bull and probably like six satellite bulls and like 30 cows. 200 yards from us, we were on the fence line. And we couldn't do a damn thing about it. We couldn't call them in. You know, if it was public land, you'd just go after them. But private land, it's like, oh, there's fence line. Can't go any further. So it's frustrating. I mean, private land is very frustrating. Um, yeah,
1: there's there's definitely pros and cons to both. You know, yeah, growing, for sure. Growing up in Michigan, I always hunted private land.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, same here. Moving mm-hmm.
1: out here, uh, we do hunt a couple private properties, but, I mean, one of them's like 11 acres. The other one's probably 40 acres. And,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we still see deer on the neighbors. Can't go after them. Where if it's out no? public, I can go wherever I want. Is, exactly. that is a big, big pro to that.
2: Yeah. Both of them, yeah. like you said, both of them have pros and cons.
0: Even then, I mean, it's like, you know, what elevation are they at? What's the feeding cover like on private? Where's the bedding at? I mean, people that, I feel like people that scoff at private land elk hunting versus public land elk hunting don't really understand elk hunting either. So, yeah, maybe the pressure's a little bit different, but I don't, I mean, it's kind of one and the same too, to a degree, so
2: yeah oh yeah. for sure so yeah we've hunted that property since 2017 we go back like if obviously if we draw we go back to the the same place because it's something we know um so i've i don't want to say given up on e-scouting the last few years but we haven't really had to because it's like we, we know the property what do we have to scout we just we have to go find them and you know then then go from there but um one year 2019 was a tough year and we that's where we realized like oh shit we need to have a plan b even though we have this private property because they they were gone like the elk were literally gone for like a week we didn't hear anything didn't see anything and so that's where scouting elsewhere would definitely help because then you can pick up and leave and go to a go to a different spot but for the most part that property has been been pretty good for us obviously you know we both killed an elk there so right right yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, we learned in 2019 about what a plan b was and to have one and a c yeah and d and so on and so forth
2: that's funny yeah because that was the year we we realized that too yeah
1: (laughs) so so you have this you have this piece that you're able to hunt um public all around it um you know what Going from 2018 when your husband Pat killed his to 19 to having him kind of disperse, I guess, you know, having a rough, a rough trip there, you know, what was, what was 2020 like? What were the thoughts going into the season? Um, You know, how did you, how did you kind of pinpoint where they were that year? So
2: 2020 was a little, I mean, it was odd anyway, but just talking about elk hunting, it was, like, I felt, I don't want to say pressured to draw a tag or to get an elk, but because this year, which we'll get into later, I have another hunt plan, which has been planned for, like, two years now, so in my mind, I'm like, shit, if I don't get an elk this year, then I'm going to have to wait, like, two years to try this again, and so I drew, obviously, last year, both of us drew a tag. I'm like, oh, okay, and I was just hammering, because we were the whole co- the COVID shit hit, working from home, so I started working out a lot earlier, I started shooting my bow a lot earlier, just getting super, you know, dialed in, and I'm like, I ain't, I ain't fucking up this year, <laughs> like, something needs to happen this year, and got out there, like, on a Friday, and it... We just kind of do the same thing. We get there. We set up camp. We're like, all right, let's wander the property and just kind of scope stuff out, see what's changed, what hasn't changed. And that Friday evening, I actually stalked up on a cow elk. Like I almost shot one at like 60 yards the first night. I'm like, well, this is a good sign. Well, then it started getting super hot and I started kind of, even just on day one, I was a little down in the dumps man, they're not bugling. Where are they at? Pat's like, my husband's like, dude, it's day one. We're here for like 13 days. You need to settle down. <laughs> um, but we got a little insight because we planned on leaving and going to another spot on like that Sunday, actually the Sunday I shot my elk. And we got a little insight from the another guy who hunts the same property Essentially, he's like, no, you got to stay here. He's like, they're here. He's like, I just bumped a bull this morning. He's like, they're just quiet. I'm like, okay, that's, that's good to know. Like, I really appreciate it. <laughs> so we were um, really patient. We did finally hear him bugle, I don't know, Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, I heard my bull bugle. I say my bull because that's the only bull that bugled all day. And we actually, we went to Bozeman that Sunday to have lunch with a friend of ours and his family. And I had a glass of wine. I'm like, yeah, whatever. We come back and we hike up the mountain, do our normal like waiting, because they were just bugling like right before, um, before sunset. Took a nap under a tree and we heard him pipe off. It's like 530. Like, oh, sure. Let's go towards him. Whatever. See what happens. And, um. I guess we can get into the story of it. So we heard him bugle and he was pretty close. And I say pretty close, like probably three, 400 yards up the mountain. And that area, we know it's a bitch to get into. So we literally like cannot get up there. We have to wait for him to come down. And like, well, let's drop her shit and head up. And my husband, Pat, was just cow calling the whole time. He never bugled once the entire time. So he's cow, we're cow calling our way up and, uh, he's, I mean, he's like tearing down the mountain at this point, like, Oh, he's fired up about something. And we get to this spot and I say this spot because it happens every damn year. It's a meadow and then it's instant thick timber. Like, I'm not kidding you. You can't see two foot in front of you, like instant thick. And I'm standing there, and the bull, at this point, the bull's like 150 yards from us, just screaming his head off. Pat looks at me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, go in there. I'm like, I ain't going in there. I'm like, screw that shit. It's way too thick. I said, I can't get a shot off in there. And he got pissed. He looked at me. He's like, you need to get your ass in there. and You need to make something happen. He's like, I'm sick of this bullshit. Well, So we're literally arguing on the mountain while there's a bull. At this point, he's probably 100 yards from us. I'm like fine this is stupid i'm like i don't know why i'm doing this and i march in there like probably 20 yards i'm like see see this is why i didn't want to go in here because i can't see 10 yards in front of me this is dumb so he stayed behind me like probably 30 yards cow calling and i look over and through like the thick shit i see cows like 15 yards from me like son of a bitch they saw me and they beeline it down the mountain So I'm, like, darting around trying to find a spot. Well, right in front of me, I see a trail, and I can literally see, like, 10 yards. Like, all right, this is really the only shot that I have. And I heard him bugling and bugling and bugling, and I see trees raking. I mean, he's just destroying trees on his way down. I'm like, son of a bitch, he's, like, all sorts of fired up. And I'm like, well, he's going to follow the cows, so I'm screwed. Well, he started to. I saw his tines. He was following the cows down. Pat's still cow calling. He stopped. The bull stops. He goes back up the mountain. And I'm like, oh, fuck. He's coming down the trail like 10 yards in front of me. So, like I said, I kind of hunkered down. And I saw his tines like 15 yards in front of me. So, I drew back. Like, I got to draw back now because he's going to come right in front of my shooting lane. So, he blew past. I'm at full draw. He blew past my 10-yard shooting lane. And a big cluster of trees stopped him and he he bugled at 10 yards at full draw, just screamed his head off. I'm like, holy shit. And then he wheeled around and he started marching toward me. I'm like, oh shit, now what? Like a frontal shot. I always told Pat, I'm like, I will never take a frontal shot. Never, ever, ever. Like I will not do it. So he's walking toward me with his head down and. So there's a trail like right in front of me that went out to Pat. So he was on his way to Pat, like with the cow calls and stuff. I mean, he was just, I don't know, Pat was sexy as hell to him or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, So I had to take my, my sight housing off of him so I could see, you know, like see where to shoot him because he was that close. And I think when I put my sight back on him, he picked his head up. He saw that. And so, yeah, seven yards because we paced it afterwards and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I let her rip and he wheeled around. And uh, Pat come over like a minute later. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I just shot a fucking bull. I'm like, that's what happened. He's like, well, where'd you shoot him? I'm like, right there. He looks at me. He's like, right here. I said, yeah. He's like, that's like seven yards. I'm like, no shit. That's seven yards. <laughs> I said, I, I, I was here. I saw it happen. And so then the whole, where are just shoot him? And I kind of screwed up on the shot because I've never done a frontal shot on anything. So it just, it wasn't the greatest shot. And I'm like, well, I think he's, I think he stopped like 50 yards away. I said, cause I heard crashing and then it completely stopped. And I said, so let's wait a little bit. Well then, cause it's starting to get dark at this point. And you kind of hear a little bit more uh, cracking or uh, twig snapping. I'm like, yeah, he's not down. So we backed out, which was horrible. I hate doing that. And uh, so I didn't sleep all night. I didn't eat anything. And we got up first thing in the morning. It was warm that night, unfortunately. But got up first thing, went up there, and we heard him stop. There was a big pool of, like, frothy lung blood. I'm like, oh, awesome! I'm like, he's dead. I just don't know where or when, but he's dead. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we did bump him. We did go back that night and we bumped him, which sucked, which made my heart sink even more. But um, how,
1: f- how far away was he when you when you bumped him?
2: So that it was actually that night. So I haven't told this story in a long time, so just kind of bear with me. <laughs> um, but that night when we found that's when we found that blood. And I think we went, because I had a tracker on, like, 150 yards, probably, when, until we bumped him. And so then we backed out, because we found, like, two, I think, two big pools of blood. And then it ran out, and then that's when we we heard him. We're like, oh, shit. So we went back the next morning to where, you know, I, I dropped a pin where we bumped him. And not long after that, or not far after that, we found the um, back part of my arrow, I'm like, oh shit, now it's all plugged up, you know, there's not going to be any blood, and after that, there was literally no blood, like, pinpricks, like, I don't know how we found some of it, and, uh, we went another, probably 150 yards, 100, 150 yards, and at that point, like, you guys know what oat brush is, right, like, just the pain in the ass, thick nasty stuff that doesn't give it all and it was acres and acres down this mountain and I'm like we're never finding him that there's just that's all there is to it and he's like well he's like we need to start grid searching because he was going to get like 90 degrees that day he's like we've got to try to at least find him like okay and Pat's like well I'm gonna go up this way you go this way I'm like no this is dumb like he didn't go this way Like, just humor me and go that way. I'm like, fine. I literally walked, like, 10 steps, and my elk is laying there. I'm like, oh, my God. I screamed out. I dropped my bow. I fell to the ground. Pat came over. And I actually – I have a video. It's, like, a two-minute video that Pat took. I am bawling my eyes out. Um, But, yeah, it was – it was just – crazy and we we didn't we couldn't take a ton of time because it was so warm um because we had to get them quartered up you know skinned and quartered and packed out we didn't have to pack that far like a half a mile was all but uh and then we called the property owners and they actually brought their pickup truck up like as far as they could up the logging road so that's why we didn't have to pack them out that far so that helped a ton but uh yeah and I guess to fast forward a little bit, we did, not a lot of people know this, but I, we did end up losing both the hindquarters, the meat, because we took him to a butcher in Bozeman because it was so hot. He, the butcher texted me later that week and he's like, no, this meat's shot. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so we salvaged both the front quarters and then the back straps and tenderloins and some of the neck ropes, but... Yeah. So we lost like half of them mm-hmm. just because it was so it, it didn't get below 50 degrees that night. Mm-hmm. So and I think he died around, I would guess, around like midnight. So he sat for quite a while until we until we got to him. But yeah, yeah this is that. the part where I where I ramble on about my story. and.
1: <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. I say I was going to say I, I've heard that like the first things to go are the hindquarters. If if something goes, and it's just because it's so thick and it traps so much heat on that femur bone and that hip socket.
2: Yeah. And he, the way he died is literally just like if he just laid down. So he had for sure one quarter underneath him for that long. And the other one was kind of underneath him too. Like I said, he just, it's like you just plop down. Um, So obviously that didn't help at all. But
1: going going back to your the article you wrote which i failed to mention what it was called and where it's at so people can go read it um (laughs) it's called uh my why and um i believe you can find it on eastman's hunting journal and as well as uh alan craters blog
2: um, so eastman's yeah eastman's um only did they grabbed a few paragraphs of it Mm. So it wasn't the whole story, but yeah, the whole story is on, on Alan's website. Okay.
3: Yeah. He was,
2: he was kind enough to let me share it on there. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, but the, the emotion that you wrote about in that article, um, and in the things leading up to it that we discussed uh, just a few moments ago, you know, all of that went out when you saw that elk, you're describing it now is. I feel like it's something that you're only going to know if you've been in that situation.
2: Yeah. It's like I said, it's a lot to unload and um, putting it into words was, was difficult. And it was, it was actually a good thing that, so Eastman's did reach out to me like literally days after I shot my elk to write a story. So luckily it was fresh in my mind. So all those emotions were still there and I could get it down on paper. Um, but it's, it's everything, you know, the support from friends and family and, you know, social media people, you guys over the last four years that have followed me and seen all the, um, the failures and the, the almost, you know, almost had them and my husband wounded one and I missed one and not even that, but just like you were saying earlier, it's a, It's an everyday process, you know, from working out to making sure your bow's fine-tuned. The vacation days, you know, we put all of our eggs in a basket every year. for That's that's our vacation, pretty much. Like, we don't take any other vacation. So that's, it all comes down to September. And then the other side of it, just being out there. You know, to be in the mountains and you have this five-by-five outdown with, the backdrop that you have is just, it's surreal, like completely surreal. So yeah, to, to answer your question, yes, it all, those emotions just all came out at that moment. And the biggest, I don't want to say the biggest thing, but was when I, when I FaceTimed my mom after that, because I had talked to her, she's, we're very, very close. And obviously I told her, Right, like I called her right after I shot him, and so she knew tracking him, and I'm like, Mom, I'm not gonna be able to find him, and this and that. And at the tail end of the video that Pat took, um, like I laid my hands on him, I'm crying, I'm taking it all in, and then like, I gotta FaceTime my mom. Like, right away. I grabbed my phone and FaceTimed her, and I'm like, Mom, I found him. So everything in that story was not like Uh, doctored up or anything that's exactly how it went down and uh she started crying and so that that was a very like that was kind of the moment after you know after I shot him that I I don't know because she knows how much work I put in and how much I wanted that
3: yeah
0: you mentioned um the social media aspect I don't excuse me I remember being super excited when you posted that photo because like just kind of knowing like 2019 was a rough year. We kind of had that same rough year. And then like you, you're always kind of sharing your progress, you know, you're working out, you're shooting your bow. And like, to me, that stuff is like infectious. I love when people are like, you know, posting to their stories that they're working out and they're shooting their bow. And like, Mm
2: -hmm. I love love that that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: know, I know some people don't like to share that stuff and, and that's fine, but I just absolutely love it. So I was super excited. Like, Hey, you know, Amber finally killed the bull. You know, I kind of know, at least on the surface, kind of how hard she's been working. So, yeah, that was that was super cool. And I'm sure there was there was lots of people that had been following and were equally it was, you know, as excited.
2: Yeah, it was really, I'm not going to lie, overwhelming um, after I posted that, all of the messages that I got from people that like I know on social media that I follow. But for me to think back, like if you guys messaged me And we had a short conversation back after I shot my bull. I couldn't tell you what the hell it was about. Like I was so overwhelmed with messages and, and that was very, very touching to me uh, for lack of better wording or phrasing. It was just, it meant so much to have that kind of support. And, you know, I try to support other people that obviously have the same, the same passion and, are doing the same things. Cause I know, I know how hard they work. I know how hard you guys work and the sacrifices, you know, from family and work and all that other stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a good community of people. It really is.
0: Yeah. That's something I really enjoy about kind of the elk hunting community community, you know, at least on Instagram, it, it, um, uh, seems to be fairly tight knit and kind of like you said, I think everybody understands how hard, You have to work to get to that point, you know? So it's like when somebody that you're kind of familiar with, you know, what the, what their process is, you know, kind of how hard they've been working, you know, their success is, is a success you can enjoy too, you know, at at least Mm -hmm. on the surface, it's not like you were there, but I mean, yeah, that, that is one thing that I really like about the elk hunting community that I don't necessarily feel like you get elsewhere. You know, like I mentioned before, I was a big deer guy before this and I still enjoy deer hunting, but it's, it's just different. You know, I, I can't it's necessarily put different. my finger on it, but yeah, it, it's different. The elk hunting community is different. And that's one of the things I really, really enjoy. You know, you can kind of thrive off that, how hard people are working, you know, and and the time they're putting in to be successful because 10% of us are going to do it every year, you know? So yeah, if you want to be in that 10%, you can't just show up, you know, you can't just go buy your tag at the store when you get there anymore. You know, th- there's, there's work to even get the tag. And then once the tag that's, that's to a degree, the easy part, you know, and and now the hard work starts and and you really have to get after it. If you want to be one of those guys or girls that go every year and and you're in that 10% club, you know, so.
2: Yeah. And I'll, I'll be completely honest to kind of not really segue, but (laughs) tonight, today, um, I honestly have not shot my bow any distance since last year like literally last August or September, like I've been um, shooting in the basement, like blank bailing and stuff like that, just to keep my form and whatnot. And I went out for the first time today, grabbed my elbow, 50 yards, and I was pretty good. I'm like, okay, I think I'll be good for this year, (laughs) which gave me a little bit of anxiety, because like I said, I'm very like, I'll prepare all year, I'll be shooting all year, but life happened this year, and it just didn't really work out and I didn't have the motivation to go out and do what I should have but um yeah I mean it starts even before you draw a tag like you I figured out you can't wait until you find out if you draw a tag because then it's too late to start working on um shooting and working out and you know like I just the other day dehydrated seven pounds of burger for the the meals out there and that kind of prep work I mean there's it's it's really is a year-round thing and i figure i'm like well if i don't draw a tag i'm gonna go somewhere i i don't know i'm prepared so i'm gonna try to try to make it to some state
0: that's half the battle anymore i think is figuring out yeah where you can realistically go when that's why we're putting our hands in so many pots now you know it's like even when we first started, it was kind of like, well, we can probably draw Montana at least every other year, and now it's like, eh, I just don't know what's going on out there. Maybe Colorado's not over the counter at some point. It's just, you know, we we've touched on this quite a bit, but yeah, the the whole landscape's changing. So, like you said, it almost like it starts way before you get the tag. It, it's kind of a three hundred and sixty-five day a year thing now. Yeah. Have
2: what's... you guys? Um put in for other states like, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, stuff like that, or not really. Yet. I haven't been doing those states.
1: I, I haven't done, I haven't put in for New Mexico and, and I'm not building, I'm not building Arizona points. Um, okay. I've, I, you know, I'll get points here probably pretty soon for, for Wyoming. Um, I've got points for Colorado and then I'll play the, the internet waiting room game for Idaho Depending yeah, on yeah,
2: that was crazy. Like
1: that. Yeah, my uncle, I, I got in real quick. Uh, my uncle waited and waited in line on on his computer for about two hours, <laughs> and uh, we we got lucky. He got he got a tag um, in our in our zone. So, okay.
3: but uh, awesome. yeah, that was
1: that was a curveball because I told him I was like, yeah, they sold out last year in June. He's like, they sold out because the last time that he went, they just bought them when they got there.
2: It's turning and, into Montana because that's how Montana used
1: to be yeah so and uh, I told him what they did and he's like, so I need to be on my computer that day, don't I I'm like yep he's like that minute right so he <laughs> hopped on and he waited yeah the uh the
0: future of of elk hunting tag scares me a little bit so my I'm trying to just grab all the chips I can get so i'll have two points in wyoming uh we put in for new mexico we're obviously going to montana this year Uh, we started to build some points in colorado i also have now i'll have colorado deer points wyoming deer points i'll have antelope in colorado antelope in wyoming antelope in montana yeah like i'm going out west somewhere every year hopefully elk hunting if not elk hunting i'm deer hunting i'm antelope hunting i'm you know so yeah it's uh it's getting more and more competitive you know and like Arizona I've thought about I don't know just if I wasn't doing so many other states I think I probably would you know I think there's some decent late season hunts you can you know you can get into there's obviously that random component you know you could draw like a you know a unit 9 10 whatever uh, rut hunt I mean the the, the possibilities mm-hmm. out there but um but I kind of like you know the New Mexico random portion Wyoming point creep is obviously an issue, but at some point we'll go to Wyoming here in the next few years. So, um, there's opportunity out there. You just, I don't know anymore. You just kind of have to play the game. I feel like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I have a couple, uh, a few points, antelope points in Wyoming, a few elk. And other than that, I don't have anything. Well, now I have a point in Montana. So if I want to go next year for a general tag, then I can go since I didn't draw this year, but other than that, I mean, I, I really don't know if I want to go for the other states. I'll probably regret that years down the road, but it's it's a lot of money, too. I'm like, I don't have that kind of damn money, like, to do this shit every year. I, I don't know. I mean, I have the gear and stuff now, so I guess it's just the tag and getting out there. But to be honest, a new state uh, kind of gives me anxiety, like, to just start from square one after knowing Montana so well. I'm like no, I don't want to go anywhere else.
3: <laughs> I can
1: see that. Like, and, and I was asked, like, is is you you recently took a fishing trip to Montana? You've elk hunted Montana several times. Like, is that kind of like your state?
2: Um, I feel like it's my state just because I'm comfortable. Like I said, I'm comfortable with it. I know the area. I now know the rivers, where to fish, um, people. There's actually a lot of people out there that I try to meet up with, uh, whether it be my fishing trip or in September when I'm out hunting. Um, like I said, I'm just, I'm comfortable with it. And I, I am an adventurous person. And I think after this antelope hunt this year, like next year, I would like to venture out a little bit just to experience something different. Um, I think it'll do me do me good now that i have an elk under my belt hopefully i'll get an antelope under my belt this year um you know one of the questions that you guys had were gonna ask me was like my future hunts and i i really like we were just talking i don't have any plans i am game for any any species like i would love to hunt roosevelt's out in oregon or somewhere out there um blacktail i mean mule deer i've never hunted mule deer before so i would love to try that um yeah the antelope in wyoming uh elk in wyoming even a whitetail hunt in the mid one of the midwestern states like missouri or something i would love to do so i i feel like there's always something always something to do whether it, whether it's elk or not elk but yeah. Oh, moose. Oh, my God. I think everybody's bucket list is moose in Alaska.
1: <laughs> it's definitely on mine.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. New Zealand red stag is actually my number one bucket list item. But yeah. I don't have $20,000 laying around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not many people so. do. Uh, so, so you're doing antelope hunting this mm-hmm. year, then. And you're doing elk hunting this year.
2: Yeah. Man. I had, yeah, I had kind of told myself, which is stupid, um, earlier this year when, because I knew I had this antelope hunt coming up. I'm like, all right, I got an elk under my belt. I don't need an elk hunt. I'm just going to 100% focus on antelope. Yeah, after you chase elk, you can't imagine not chasing elk in September, especially already being out there. I'm like, how how can I be out there and not at least chase something? So I did put in for general tag, didn't draw. So I did um, an elk B tag, which in Montana, which is a cow tag essentially. And it's the only shitty thing about that is it's unit specific. It's not like a general, you know, oh, I have this tag and I can hunt 20 units or whatever. So I had to kind of pick and choose. And the guy that we had lunch with last year, the day I shot my elk, he lives um, in the unit that I put in for. So he's like, oh, if you guys ever want to come out, you know, put in for this unit, get you an elk, whatever. So I asked him and he's like, yeah, that's not a problem at all. So I did draw that unit. So I do have a cow tag. Not, can't shoot a bull in that unit. But um, it's only, I say only like 250 bucks, I think, for a non-resident out B tag which isn't terrible.
1: That's um, that's not bad compared no. to the, um
2: thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. I think Idaho's with everything in I can't remember what the actual hunting license is. I think the hunting license is like six fifty. Yeah. Something like that.
2: It's ridiculous. Um but yeah so I'll be hunting hopefully get a cow early so then I can fish <laughs> in between the the elk hunting and antelope hunting um but yeah then the antelope hunts on the east side of the state for a week and that's with a big group of people so that should be that should be fun a little bit more relaxed as relaxed as antelope hunting can be i've never i've never hunted antelope and i never and it's with a bow so that's going to be frustrating to say spot the least and stalk, I'm sure. or sitting in blind. yeah yeah spot and no,
1: after talking to Trail, like I went down the a deep rabbit hole of just watching YouTube videos with people blowing stocks <laughs> on antelope, and it just looks like so much fun.
2: Well, the guy that set it up for everybody, um, he's gone a couple times, and the couple guys he went with last year, everybody tagged out. Um, he told me, he's like, you are going to hate your life every day. I guarantee it. He's like you're gonna want to throw your bow. He's like you're gonna break arrows. You're gonna lose arrows. He's like it's gonna. You're gonna be miserable. I'm like sweet. <laughs> Sign me up. So yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be busy.
0: Is that Very like the uh, is that like the 900 tag or whatever? Like the like the yep. kind of general archery. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: What did it take to draw that? That's
2: some. Um. Uh, so that's turning, that's turning into kind of the elk tags in Montana because okay. every year it's always just been over the counter. That's what I but was thinking. But he warned all of, yeah, he warned all of us last year. So that would have been, did he go in 2020? I don't know. I think 2019. They sold out. There might have been 2020. He was keeping track, and they sold out. So he's like, "Everybody buy a point okay, if you want to go." Okay. And some people that even bought a point in our group that were going didn't draw. So that's how tough that one's getting to, which is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that's the but. thing. It's not just elk anymore. Mule deer is just no. as bad, and antelope. It seems like at least in spots is getting as bad. So yeah, the whole western hunting hunting game is changing every year rapidly. I think.
2: That's a- It's a fad now. Everybody's doing it.
0: (laughs) That will be the interesting thing to see if it's here to stay or if this is kind of a, you know, kind of a peak and things are going to plateau and start to start to go down that that will be the interesting part, I I think.
2: I hope. Stay away, people. Stay away. (laughs) (laughs) I,
1: I think it's, you know, we we talked about this before, but I do think it's I think there's some reality to it, but I also think there's a lot of fad to it too. I think that yeah. I think that people were going to think they want to hunt out west and then they're going to hunt out west and understand like, "Oh. Oh, okay.
3: So this you have to This is what it's all about. This is mm-hmm. what it
1: is. Okay. So I don't, you know, and some people may say like, "Well, I'm all about that." And but then others will definitely say, "Well, like, well, that's a cool trip. Maybe I'll go back in 5 years or so." Yeah. Whereas I mean, I don't know. I had a 600-pound animal stream at me, so that'd be cool if it happened again. So
2: that's kind of where I was after 2017. We just it ruins. It honestly ruined whitetail hunting for me. Like, I just I come back in October and I sit in a tree stand. I'm like, how dumb is this? Like I'm just sitting in a tree stand waiting for something to come by. Like I want to go run after something. I want to call something. I'd...
0: That's like yeah. I mentioned earlier, we went to Missouri last year. And excuse me, we um, we went down. I think it was late September for like the second weekend. Um, and we had we had a pretty good weekend. But we had a really good last hunt. We had like a 100 and probably 130, 140 inch buck come out uh, with a, a smaller buck that was probably. 120s i mean both very respectable public land deer um and i mean just close close to you know to killing one of those deer and like we both enjoyed it me and my my hunting buddy jimmy like we both had a lot of fun and then on the way home i think we both said like ah, even as fun as that was like it it's just not elk hunting next year we're you know <laughs> we're going elk
3: hunting yeah
0: yeah it does ruin deer hunting I know. a little bit
2: these people—I say these people—but like you guys, you're like, "Oh, well, we didn't go 2020." I mean, in 2020, I mean, I know life happens, but when people say, "Oh, I go every other year, every couple years," I'm like, "How? How do you survive September knowing that you're not out west?" I, I don't know. It's just—it's probably not a good mentality for me to have. <laughs> but everybody's like, "What are you doing in September?" I'm gone. Don't even talk to me. I'm just, I'm gone.
1: <laughs> I've got a buddy that's wet way for grouse and woodcock. He's yeah. Like, what, what are you doing in October? Like I'm up North. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what about the end of October? I'm st- up still north. up North <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he does. I mean, everyone has their thing.
3: Yeah. That's, mm-hmm.
1: Getting out west is is my big thing. Just getting just getting out there hunting something. Ideally, it's elk every year, but I know that the way that things are going, that's not realistic.
2: That and mm-hmm.
1: I've I've all of a sudden got this itch to just run around chasing antelope. Like it just looks like so much fun.
2: Should come out. each... Oh, I don't know if they have leftover tags. Did you say you're going to Montana this year, elk hunting?
1: Idaho. I'll oh, Idaho. Idaho. That's right. I think we take off 15th or whatever whatever that wednesday is i'd have to look at calendar
0: yeah 15th i think we leave the following day it's yep. the 16th yeah
1: thursday so yeah.
2: yeah
1: i'll give you a heads up if south dakota's flooded again
2: yeah well i'll already be in montana so i'll be heading from the west side to the east side actually on the 16th so we might cross paths
3: <laughs> so
0: yeah we'll wave to you in eastern montana somewhere maybe yeah <laughs> yeah
2: i just hope because like we talked before my birthday is the 18th i'm like man if i got an antelope on my birthday that would be awesome
0: <laughs> especially if you'd stacked up a cow on that b tag the week before that'd be oh it'd be a good september buying freezers
2: yeah. say so if ordered another freezer like we had to do that last year Cause we did not have, we only had one big chest freezer and we had, cause so my brother raises beef. So we had like a quarter of a beef in the freezer, still venison whitetail from the year before. And then my elk. And then, and we knew we're like, it's just not going to fit. And it's a good thing we got another one. Cause then we shot like two more deer in Michigan after that. So yeah, they were, they were stacked full. <laughs>
0: That's what I always tell my wife. If I shoot one or if we, you know, if we shoot one, we'll split some meat. I'm going to have to buy a freezer on the way home because we're always kind of sitting at max capacity. I usually try to shoot three or four deer, you know, and then, yeah, I can yep. have some beef and chicken and what else, you know. It's like, oh, man, it'll be a good problem to have, but we'll definitely be investing yeah. in, the, in another freezer.
2: <laughs> it's it's kind of nice um, because I said I just did that dehydrated burger and I dug out from my elk last year there's four like four 10 pound packages of just trim meat i'm like oh shit i gotta use this stuff up and so that's what i use we made uh, the burger and jerky out of it so it is nice to just have that extra stuff to do whatever you know whatever you want with um can i do a lot of canning with the venison mainly i did some elk which is which is pretty good but there's always something to do with it mm-hmm
1: yeah i've still got i think 11 7 or 11 pounds or something like that in the freezer set aside for doing venison chorizo and italian sausage and stuff like that mm. and, but through just everything me and a buddy just never were able to link up this spring to make it mm. i'll end up making it here one of these two weekends and just get it done and because
2: yeah.
1: like chorizo is so good
2: and I know I love
1: it living out here I've come to come to like Italian sausage even more (laughs) switching gears maybe a little bit what um so obviously
0: you know you you mentioned before you're you're working out you're shooting your bow you're kind of doing all those things what um like do you guys kind of follow any programs as far as education stuff you know like calling stuff are you you know are are you into like the elk nut stuff Phelps like what what kind of resources do you guys use or have you used in the past
2: so calling, um, that's where my husband learned was the Elknut. We actually downloaded the Elknut app, which I couldn't even tell you how much it is now, but at the time it was only like a five dollar app or something, five or six dollar app.
0: Yeah, it's still I think it's five or ten and it's fantastic. If you don't have it and you're listening to this, go get it. Now. Yesterday, but go get it.
2: You know you throw in the i'm not affiliated at all which neither of us are i think we've chatted with him maybe once like after pat shot his bull he sent him a message or whatever but no that is the best like five six to even ten dollars twenty dollars if even went up to 20 bucks that's the best thing that you can download to learn to call um and then it's just practice you know they have the thing on the app where you can record yourself and then compare it to, you know, either him calling or a real bull or cow calling. Um, so that's where we learn. He's a much better caller than me. Um, I mean, I can obviously do enough to be somewhat dangerous, but there's some things like I cannot do a contact buzz with the with the reeds. I can't do a lip ball with bugle, you know, with a bugle tube. But other than that, I'm I'm pretty decent. Um So he's, he's my caller. I mean, we don't really switch on and off like with buddies. It's always like, I'm up every day until I shoot something. (laughs) So that's a nice thing about being husband and wife and hunting is the wife usually gets first dibs all the time. Um, But yeah, that, that was probably in 2017, 2018 is when he got really good and then it's it's just kind of second nature after that for calling. Like, I've I've told people this before. Sometimes, because we've had, like, countless encounters with bulls. Like, calling them in, whether they get hung up or have to parallel them down the mountain, whatever. He gets in screaming matches with bulls. And then cow calling. And sometimes I get a little, not mesmerized, but it's so cool to hear the communication between the real bull and Pat that I'm like, oh shit I'm hunting that's right I have to like pursue him and actually try to shoot him instead of just listening to what's going on so that's another cool cool aspect of it
0: um I want to go back to your bull for for just a minute so he only cow called right
2: yeah he did not pipe off a bugle at all so
0: was he responding like was he bugling when when Pat would cow call was he kind of like every time he's oh he's yeah he reassert. okay i was wondering yep he
2: was thing. fired up and that's kind of how i mean it's a lot to explain and once again that outnut app he'll he'll explain a lot yep. but you kind of gotta know their language and you gotta gauge their feelings as far as like what's gonna turn them on for lack of better phrasing like that's why Pat didn't bugle at all because he's like if he's getting fired up just by my cow calls i don't want to screw this shit up by piping off a bugle and potentially you know him hightailing you know taking his cows and getting the hell out of there because i think that bull my bull was there wasn't any other bulls in the area so he heard pat and he's like oh there's another cow for my harem so he just totally was zoned in on him or on her, him, whatever you want to call it, on Pat, and like I just want another cow in my in my harem. So, but then there's other times where it, I mean, they will challenge over each other, Pat and the bull. Like it's just literally a screaming match, and that's what we'll call that bulling because he's so pissed off. Like either you need to get the hell out of here, or I want your cows. So you just you really have to know what they're saying and how they're saying it to kind of know how to call back.
0: That's where I feel like Paul Medell really shines too is, is knowing not knowing only how to say things, but knowing what to say, you know, because like, yeah, in your scenario there, I think it would be very easy for most guys. And even me going back to 2019, had I been a caller, and, and cow called and got a response, like, yes, I probably would have went to the bugle tube. And now, you know, following more with, with elk nut and kind of knowing what to say when it's like, that's not necessarily what you want to do. You kind of need to know what to say back. You know, like you mentioned, he's, he's fired up with, with cow calls. Why do I need to now introduce this bull? You know? So that's where I think, yeah, I think Paul Modell and the elk nut stuff is, is fantastic, you know?
1: I think so, his when yeah. as well, like when he's saying that stuff, when he's responding, yeah. how long he's pausing between between cow calls. He talks about that in his slow play, where he'll he'll make a cow call, just right. a couple cow calls, and then he'll wait. He's like, I just sit there five ten minutes, just hang out, yep, see what happens, and then I'll do it again, and then I wait another five to ten minutes, and do the mm-hmm. same thing, and it, it's like, I mean, we're we're Midwestern people were used to sitting in a tree waiting for deer to come by. So like we're fairly patient, but I'm not fairly patient, <laughs> especially when I'm out West and I've,
2: you want them to respond like right now. Yeah.
1: I want to start talking. Let's go. Let's get this going. Yeah. I don't want to wait. Yeah.
2: Um, some of that. Our first year, come. it comes with experience. Yeah, Yeah. I always um, like,
0: yes, I know elk hunting is not turkey hunting and I'm not trying to make that parallel, but from a calling perspective, you know, I always that like, I hope it's not.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Like now I'm to the point where I kind of like, I feel like I know what I need to say when, and it wasn't always like that. It took me a long time, you know, but, but yes, there's times when you kind of need to be patient. There's times when you can, you can press forward. So that's where I feel like the parallel is, you know, with, with the experience portion and then just kind of learning when you know, you need to say what?
2: Well, for instance, in 2017, our first year out there, um, that was when I missed one and then he wounded the same bowl. Um, but it took, holy shit, probably from the time that we started calling to the time all that shit show happened was probably an hour, over an hour for all that to transpire. It was almost kind of a slow play thing. It was in the afternoon, though. I think they were bedded down, so it it took him a little bit to get fired up. But once he was fired up and once we got him, oh, man, it was one of those, I don't know who says that, but, you know, when you find one that wants to play, he wanted to play that day. And, you know, it. every single bull is different. And you just you really have to gauge them and, yeah, know, know exactly what they're saying because you can screw it up in a hurry which we've done before.
0: (laughs) Amber, I'm an archery nerd. So talk to me about your bow setup.
2: Oh boy. (laughs) So I will try to talk as intelligently as I can about this. So I, so I have two bows. We'll start with that. I got a second one last year, the year before strictly for low poundage. Because we all know when you're sitting in a tree stand in late October when it's 30 degrees, you know, you're sitting there for two hours. I can't draw back what I can draw back in the summer. I mean, it's it's a bitch. So I just got, I have uh, Matthew's tri Both of them are the exact same bows. One's 50 to 60 pound limbs and the other's 40 to 50. Um, but my elk bow, I shoot 50 pounds. And I only have like a 25 and a half inch draw length. So that's where it gets really difficult for me to shoot, you know, keep it heavy enough to shoot an elk. But, you know, I want to be able to shoot out to 50 yards if I have to. So there's definitely a happy medium because I lose so much in my in my draw length. But um, my arrows, I shoot Easton uh, FMJs. I think they're, they're 400 spine. And I shoot slick trick broadheads. So, uh, fixed blade. The viper tricks I shoot, they're 125 grain too. My arrows weigh, my elk arrows weigh like 450 grains. <laughs> that's
1: that's so pretty good for, for a 25 inch draw. Like to be able to yeah. push it out there and, and not have some crazy amount of pin gapping out to 50 yards. If you're pushing, nope, I can grains, shoot. It's pretty solid.
2: Yeah. I, my bottom pin, so I shoot a five pin sight. Um, my bottom pin is 50 yards and it takes up a lot of the sight housing. I mean, it's 20, you know, top is 20 and bottom is 50, but, um, I, I've shot a few before I got my second bow. That's the setup I use for whitetail too. Oh my God. It just blows through them like nothing. It's like you're shooting through paper. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, my husband's more of a nerd than me and he kind of figured out what setup. Um but that's kind of what we figured was the best bang for my buck as far as getting the most uh, momentum out of the arrow for what how little poundage, how low poundage I'm shooting in my on uh, my draw length. And we had to Sounds switch gears. Like I need to talk because I love <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> he could talk for hours about that stuff. And that's where I learned it is just, you know, us discussing back and forth, like what we need to do. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? And then he tells me, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, But we really had to switch gears for my other bow this year, because antelope, we all know, you have to try to shoot out like 60, 70 yards. I'm like, well, how in the hell am I going to make that happen? I can't make that happen with 450 grain arrows. (laughs) Um, So that I still am shooting 50 pounds because I figured I'm like I can't get away with anything less than that to to try to poke out. Um, but I switched to Easton the hexes and they only weigh 350 grains I think. Maybe just over 350. But still 125 up front and the sli- I think I'm still doing a fixed fixed blade broadhead. I'm not sure though. I might go mechanical, but that'll probably be a game time, like, a week before I leave decision. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that I honestly spent the last few days tuning. You know, we bear shaft tune, do all that stuff, and he's he's going to fletch him probably pretty soon and then sight in because I have, for that bow, I have a four-pin slider. I can't remember what. It's a Black Mountain, I think, is the brand because um, I want to be able to get I thought it was something mountain. Might be Black Gold. I don't know, kind of an I don't want to say off-brand, but definitely okay. not one of the one of the more well-known. Um, but yeah, so I want to be able to get out at least to like sixty or seventy yards for for antelope, and I should be able to. I don't think there's there's going to be a problem with that. But my biggest thing is penetration, obviously. But we'll see. And it sounds like you got
0: decent penetration on that bull then. You obviously got into the chest cavity.
2: Yeah. So I clipped um, the top part of one of the lungs. And so I think I got, I know people can't see this. When I found my arrow, there was only about that much. So it got over half penetration from a frontal shot. So it went, I mean, that goes through a ton of shit.
0: Yeah. So you were in a foot
2: anyway. uh, Yep. And what stopped it was it hit a rib, I think, and then it deflected. Um, so in 20, I like telling this little story in 2019, I shot a whitetail with my elk bow. So the are really heavy arrows and it was a quartering two shot hard, which was because of just hunting. Everybody knows how it never works out. Um, he was only at like 10 yards, but he was quartering to super hard and he was starting to quarter, like go broadside, but he was going behind some branches. I'm like, well, it's now or never. And, uh, so I hit him, I ended up hitting his lungs and his liver and it exited out his opposite flank and buried in the ground. So I'm like, for it to go through all of that, like ribs organs you know hide and for it to just blow through and still bury in the ground behind it I'm like that's pretty good for you know for what I'm shooting to you know for that to happen so I'm "I'm pretty happy with that setup I'll take it
0: yes it is very nice (laughs) shooting deer with elk arrows I shot a buck last year and and, uh, (laughs) got a little overzealous I've told the story on here before but Uh, tucking to the front shoulder and actually hit the scapula. I double lunged him. It ended up being a good shot, but yeah, hit the scapula on the onside shoulder, went through bone on the offside shoulder arrow, like half in the ground, buck went 50 yards and piled up. So I,
2: uh, I like
0: my elk arrows and I like them a lot for deer as
2: well. (laughs) Pat did that with a doe last year, I think. Um, blew through both shoulders she was kind of hunched over, and it was a heart shot, but it was just covered, you know, by her shoulder blades, and he blew through both of them, and same thing, just buried in the ground. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> um, yeah, 50 pounds is still kind of tough to draw, because I was shooting a Hoyt before that, and I shot 55 pounds but the cams and the draw cycle so much different on the Matthews. So it's, it's, it's a struggle for me. Um, I don't think I could draw much more than, than 50, but I think that'll be pretty really, good. I mean,
0: that's not bad though. If you're getting 450 grains tuning out well, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I don't, yep, I don't yes. think you're in a bad yep. spot at all.
2: No, you just got to get the right arrow, cut at the right length. You know, make sure it's not too stiff, too weak. It's it's a it's definitely a happy medium. You got to find.
0: Yeah, it's a science. So it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: so what do you guys do for workouts? I have to ask you. I'm gonna ask you that now. Like for to get ready for Out West, like what do you guys do?
0: Um. So right now, mine's kind of different. I um. So I was doing. I think I started like in December. Um, I was doing, uh, a lot of like hit workouts, uh, oh. and then I was doing some cardio with running and then just some general strength training. And then sometime in March, I don't know for sure, but I'm, it's fairly certain I have a, uh, tear in my labrum in my hip now. Oh, so I haven't man. really been able to do a whole lot as far as that goes. So now it's been a lot of biking. Uh, I'm going to do some swimming. I haven't done a whole lot of that yet, but it's been more cardio and just like general strength. I haven't really been doing like the squats and stuff that I normally would. Um, I can still get away with like step ups and that kind of thing. So I don't know. This year could be interesting. I took I had to take off like April and May, you know, did like physical therapy, that kind of thing. So I've really only been back into it for about a month now. So we'll see. But yeah, so things are a little bit different. I try to balance it out with like some higher intensity stuff. And then some longer cardio, uh, you know, kind of getting heart rate up, but not getting it up all the way. And then just more extended periods, and then just kind of general strength.
3: Yep. Okay.
1: And I started, I started around January or so, um, and and I think uh, Cody, you talked me into doing, uh, doing a Chad. Which I can't remember what it is. I think it's like a thousand step ups, and you see how long it takes you to do it.
0: Yeah. It's a thousand step ups with a weighted pack. Yeah. Um, and is it, is it just, I, 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 haven't done it in a while either. I don't think
1: I've done it since like February or March, before. that was the, well, that was the only time I did it. <laughs> I did that to kind of <laughs> that
2: explain. I'm not going to do that then. I'll pass no, yeah. that. It's,
1: it's a great gauge of where you are. Um, for sure. Uh, but I, you know, I, we bought a, a spin bike for the house. Um, we thought about the Peloton route kind of a thing, but we ended up finding one good old Facebook marketplace that was barely used for a quarter, at least a quarter of the price.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: so I've been doing a lot of biking on that and I was doing some rucking, but I've steered away from rucking um, because I've got, uh, last year I hurt my back. So I've got a partial tear in one of my discs in my, in, mm. in my lumbar area. So Rucking isn't the most friendly thing for me. Um, that and talking to another buddy, he's a he's an athletic trainer out in Colorado, and he's just like he's like said, like, you're you're putting yourself into heart rate zones that you don't need to be in. You know, you're getting into that zone three, which doesn't really do a whole lot for you cardiovascularly with for your fitness. He's like, you want to focus on one, two, and then four and five. So. I've been doing long rides on the bike, uh, staying in that zone one, two, so so hour-long rides, and I watch a ton of YouTube videos because that's the only thing you can do on a bike that's not boring. Um, it was handy during March Madness, though. I just watch a basketball game and just ride for a while. but uh, And then I'll mix in three or four hit workouts a week as well, um, which have those always put me into zone four or five and I think they've really helped. Um, June was kind of a lost month for working out though. So for, mm. uh, again, reasons I'm not going to get into, but like, you know, just didn't, yeah, I think, I think I did a half a dozen workouts in all of June.
2: I literally so, did zero, yeah. zero workouts pretty much in June. So here, you're, you're ahead of me. And
1: here we are <laughs> telling everyone like, you got to be at it every day. I
2: know. I was, I was. And then I started working out again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I worked
2: out again last week and I wanted to die. Like, holy shit, I'm getting old.
1: (laughs) So I restarted this week, um, kind of getting back into the swing of things, lifting a little bit, doing some rides, getting back. And, you know, I think two months or I think I counted it today. It's like 63 days until we take off. So I think it's, uh, I think I'll be, I'll end up being fine. Um, My uncle has been doing a ton of riding his bike, 10, 15 Mm -hmm. miles a day, kind of a thing where he's at. So I think we'll be all right.
2: There's a lot of people um, I talk to. I hate bike riding, but a lot of elk hunters do that. That's how they prep for it. It's just, it's low impact. You know, it's easy on the joints. And like you said, still gets your heart rate up, but I might, I might chat with you guys after or through messaging about kind of what else you do. Cause I feel like I need to switch mine up a little bit or amp it up or do something. Yeah. But,
1: the hit workouts I think have been, yeah, uh, it, it definitely, uh, you know, have helped. Um, just because like the, some of them, it only takes you 20 minutes. But it kicks your ass the entire time. Others, I mean, I've got a couple that I do that take about 40 minutes to do. And the entire time, you're at 80% your max heart rate. Yeah. Which, going out west, I mean, you know what that feeling is like of get here now, get ready to shoot. And you're nearing your max heart rate. Yeah. Your heart's pounding out your chest. So having that understanding of what that feels like and how to calm it down. So.
2: There's a workout I do that's kind of like that. It takes about 30 minutes, but holy shit. Like I started doing that last year, a couple of years ago. And that's how I kind of gauge myself, like how miserable that is. I'm like, oh boy, I'm, I'm pretty behind. But so that's helped me because I've been a terrible runner. Like I hate running, just never been able to do it.
1: Running is terrible. I I don't understand people that say that running is their passion and they love it. I don't understand those people. They're
2: psychotic. They're just psychotic. That's it. (laughs) But since I started doing that workout and last year, you know, it's the whole COVID stuff. I did start um, working out earlier in the year. Um, I can actually run like three to four miles now without stopping up and down hills, and I feel like fine afterwards so I'm like okay I must be doing something right if in my 30s I can run better than in my 20s so I don't know
1: yeah I'd say you're doing okay
2: yeah I always tell people it's like oh what do you do for workouts for elk season I'm like honestly it's it's a lot of cardio and lower body And I did figure out, like you said, Aaron, um, I don't do a lot of pack training before I go like, and I was talking to a buddy, he's shot a few elk out West now. Um, he's like, no, he's like, I, I know, I know I can pack out an elk. He's like, so why do I need to destroy myself throughout the year? You know, carrying 70, 80 pounds when you're only going to do that. For however many miles one one time when you're out there
1: yeah and i think you something know. that gets neglected and i learned this the hard way with messing up my back and and the reason why i messed up my back is because i had zero core strength none yep like, I remember yep. the, the, the PT put me up for a, a plank, and she's like, all right, we're going to do a minute. I kind of looked at her sideways, and I'm like, well, we'll see.
2: <laughs> did you want to die? <laughs> at
1: the end of, I mean, I made it a minute, but I wanted to die. Like, it did yeah. not feel good. And it was very clear how weak my core was. And, you know, making sure that you have a core if you are rucking, if you're someone that rucks, Do some planks, do side planks, do some bird dogs, do some dead bugs, like really work on your core.
2: There's like you said, there's so many people that don't get that. Like there's a few buddies of mine that work out pretty regularly. And I'm like, Oh, you know, we kind of, I don't want to say competitive, but I'm like, well, how long can you plank? They're like plank. I don't plank. Or, you know, like, well, what core stuff do you do? Oh, not a ton. I'm like, well, Jesus, like what's the point then? And my husband's going to kill me if he listens to this podcast. But for years, I don't want to say years. We'll, we've only been married four years. But he's he's had back issues. And I always told him, I'm like, you've got to do planks, work on your core. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, he started going to PT. What do they start doing? Core strength. <laughs> like, I, it was one of those I told you so moments. So, yeah, that is that is definitely huge as core for everything. Like, I think that's, that's the number one, definitely the number one thing that people miss.
0: I feel like almost everybody can benefit elk uh, hunting and just general fitness from, yeah, more core stability and stretching, like mm-hmm. dynamic stretching, oh, actually man. getting yeah, in stretching. a warm up. Yeah. I'm pointing What's at
2: that? You. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's made a huge difference though. I mean, oh, that's sure. something that I've really focused on this year and, you know, recovery, just, just having a better workout in general. I think it's a big, it's a big thing. So
2: I tell you what, um, this year I kind of not really digressing, but I finally learned to row like, uh, for fly fishing down rivers here in Michigan and Sunday, just this past Sunday when I went, I rowed quite a bit and I'm finally getting into more of the back rowing to retrieve when flies get caught and, Branches. I am still sore. What's today? Tuesday. I'm like up here. I'm like holy shit. Like I can hardly move. It does.
1: I remember feeling that same way that first trip that you and I did, Cody, on on the on the Huron when we got our asses kicked. The first time we got Mm -hmm. our asses kicked, and like (laughs) just that following day, like you could just feel it. Like wow, what did we row on? Like did we row that far? You just feel it. It, Yeah, because when
0: there's a $15 game changer in the tree, I'm going back. You're going back. (laughs)
2: You're going back to get it. Yep. Dude, I think on Sunday I lost. That was my worst day ever. I lost probably 10 streamers. So that was not a cheap day. No, painful. Not cheap at all. Yeah, so I'm like you, Aaron, I'm getting back into the workout workout mode after taking like a 30 day hiatus but we got a couple months Mm -hmm. be good but
1: yep just yeah i just i pedal down and and stick through it and stick to
2: it yep yep i just do running i don't do weights like a lot of people do strength training with weights mine is a lot of like calisthetic or Mm -hmm. the resistance band workouts um
1: Bands are and great, then, cool. like, I think people yeah. under- underestimate what bands can do. Bands will give you... Yeah. You can do so much with bands that you, know, you don't necessarily need a bar or anything like that. You can make it work. Yeah.
2: And I feel like people think you need to look like you're built like a shit brick house for elk hunting. And you don't. Like, some of the strongest people I know, you would look at them and be like, Dude, you can't bench shit. But they just have, I don't want to say stupid strength, but they just... They know they it's strength. just, it's different. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a lot different mm-hmm. just because they don't look Jack doesn't mean that they can't kick your ass type thing. But like me, I just hiked 50 pounds the other day, like mm-hmm. for three or four miles without a problem. They're like, wait, what do you weigh? I'm like, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> we will to kind of, to kind of close it out. We do have one more question for you. And, and I'll bet there's some Instagram followers of yours that are interested as well. Cause if anybody follows you on Instagram, they know that, that you enjoy a cold glass of whiskey every now and then.
2: I so do, uh, yes, warm or cold, either. Oh, or. <laughs> oh, so you even
1: drink it neat then. Wow. Okay. I don't yes. even drink it neat. I can't drink it neat. Um, what's your, what's your bourbon of choice?
2: Oh man. So I kind of just got into the being a I don't know if they call them bourbon connoisseurs or whatever, but just like the last year, um, I have a few friends of mine, mainly who I fish with, because that's what you do when you fish is you drink bourbon. Apparently, so that's, that's where I, mean,
3: with I bird hunting. <laughs> <Weird>.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's where I learned a lot of the the bourbons from. But um, one of my favorites is actually Knob Creek. Hmm. Okay. And Buffalo Trace is a good one. Um I'm trying to think what else is sitting on my counter right now. <laughs> um I haven't had Jefferson's, but I heard that's a that's a pretty good one.
1: Yeah, the one that's H a- C. Yeah,
2: yeah. It not that one. That's oh, that's that super one. expensive. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a little bit lower, lower than that one. But Bullet is honestly a very underrated. It's only like it's super cheap. I use Cheap, lightly, but um, that's really good. Yeah, I really like that one too.
1: Yeah, I like their I like their rye version more than I like their regular regular bourbon version for whatever reason. Um, Oh yeah, I don't like any other rye versions. um,
2: Oh
1: well, (laughs) no, No, but (laughs) Buffalo Trace is solid though. Like I, that's that's a favorite. It's impossible to find out east. You can go into any mire in the state of Michigan and find it for twenty six ninety nine. Out here. I think I think the local place actually has some and it's limited to one bottle per customer at 29.99. Oh
3: my god.
2: You know there was a a little while last year I think where Meyer didn't have Buffalo Trace like for a couple months mm-hmm. and I was going out of my mind. That's kind of when I switched I think to I'm like, well, I tried, or I better try to find something else. Yeah. Um another one that's a little bit pricier is a excuse me, a Basil Hayden's.
1: Okay. Yep. I've had, I've had, I like. I've had Hayden's. Um, once I get over that, like, uh, really once I get over the $40 mark, I just kind of jump to Angel's envy. It's rated, oh, it's rated that. about, it's rated about 50, 53 a bottle. Um, I've,
2: 50, I've 53. Bought... He have it down to the cent. <laughs>
1: No, 52 53 It depends on where you're Oh! Writing. Yeah, written okay. those low 50s. Yeah, $50.53 with tax. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I don't have that much of a problem. But um, no, I, I... Long story short, I, I helped a buddy get a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. And as a finder's fee for him, he gave me 50 bucks. So I was like, well, I'm going to use this for bourbon. And he said, it's a get Angel's Envy. And it is so smooth, so good, mm. so many things to it. Um, just if, if you haven't had it, definitely worth the money to buy. Like it's not one that you're the- going to drink and you're going to be irritated that you spent 50 bucks on something that's terrible.
2: Do they sell it at Meyer?
1: You know, I've been in, I was recently in a Meijer uh, and I do not remember. I have no idea to take a look
2: we do have a local liquor store here around the corner that literally has everything so i miss meyer that's That's... (laughs) yeah Yeah, now you have me craving a glass i haven't had bourbon in probably oh geez a couple months now actually well month or two
1: help you sleep good i had
2: a yeah i had a i had a bad experience a little bit ago so Okay. (laughs) One of those doesn't quite sit as well in your 30s. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Sticks with you a little uh, bit
2: longer.
1: (laughs) Cody's seen me at my best. I haven't had a Labatt blue light since that night. So,
2: Labatt. Oh, man. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah.
1: But, uh, but yeah. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we really appreciate you hopping on with us. That was a fun conversation. um, Just talking about. Just talking about that bull and and the emotions that you went through, like it just has me. You know, after the past month, I mean, it has me looking forward to September even more. I mean, just to hopefully to have that chance to feel those same feel those same things. So we appreciate. No,
2: I I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and that's kind of why I do try to tell the story to people I know that elk hunt just to get them jacked up essentially like you know this will happen you will experience this and it's something you will obviously never ever forget and the the emotions is it's something like you will never never experience ever again mm-hmm. so yeah best of luck to both of you guys this fall
0: yeah thank you i appreciate it i uh yeah i've been excited to hear the story since since you killed that bull so it was cool to Cool to have you jump on here and uh, talk about it. Like I mentioned, I mean, your your kind of energy around elk hunting is infectious. So I I like following your stuff. You know, it's uh, it was cool to kind of hear how that how that unfolded for you.
2: Yeah, and you know, there is a lot more to it. Like when people ask to hear the story, it's like I feel like like kind of I told you before the before everything years before kind of is what makes that moment so sweet. But how do you tell people years of stories that leads, you know, that led up to that moment? Yeah. You know, but Hard I mean, the story. This, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the story itself was pretty cool. It was a very adrenaline packed, you know, 10 seconds or whatever it was. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Very cool.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys very much.
1: Anytime. Uh, we'll see you guys next time.